You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. This is our spoiler-free review of 1917. As I asked John, how do you want to start this? <laughs> I just repeated verbatim what he just said. That's perfect. Good. Uh, thanks, Josiah. Good work. Oh, thank you for giving me the words. Um, so... Guys, if you have seen the movie, go check out our spoiler-filled review. But if you haven't, this is our spoiler-free. We're not going to spoil anything. And there's a few things that you can definitely spoil in this movie that I don't think will ruin the movie for you, but it will, will damage the emotional impact, I think, that you'll walk away with from, from this movie. Do you agree with that? I, I agree. And I think the movie is so full of reveals, things being mm -hmm. revealed, that that's part of the experience of it. And so by yeah. getting something spoiled ahead of time, it just wrecks the reveal experience that's right. there. Right. Um, this movie, I mean, blown away at the end of this. I mean, it was one of those things where I just had to sit in my chair and uh, absorb and... Uh, I don't know, work through for a minute before I could get up. Like it's one of those films I was like totally down with staying through the entire credit roll for, um, which you normally do. But for me, I'm like normally after the f initial credits, I'm like ready to get up and, and start moving. But I, I had to stay seated for that entire, that entire time because there was a lot to process through. Um, and there were a lot of people whose work I really wanted to see too. Yeah. There's just names I wanted to see how they were attached and and what roles were being played yeah. by what people so we could understand better some of the technique behind the film. I will say, as we watched the credits, there was one thing that I didn't really notice, and I may have missed it, but I didn't see a whole lot of CGI artists. I certainly didn't see that either. I saw some, a few effects people, but they seemed like they were practical for the most part. Yeah, a lot of what I saw was carpenters and painters and very practical things. And uh, talking about the movie, if we want to get started on like our, yeah, our thoughts here is that everything feels very real and grounded and like uh, any, the characters could go to any part of their set, pick something up and use it as a prop or interact with it in some way. Right. It doesn't feel like there's green screen magic happening or, or CGI magic. That's, that's being uh, thrown in there that you just, you can't pick up on. Um, everything felt very real to me. Yeah, it all has weight. It yeah. has uh, texturing. There's dirt or wetness or whatever you may encounter yeah. along the way. Everything feels very tactile. You can experience it from a sensory standpoint. And sometimes with when you're looking at a CG object, you can tell it's CG, even if it's really good CG. Right. Uh, and it loses some of those tactile. And same responses. with the backgrounds, right? Same with backgrounds. You know if it's a real backdrop or if it's... If it's a fake backdrop, and sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't tell, but oftentimes if it's green screened in, there's something a little bit off about it. But um, I, I want to say that the production design, the set design was was very important just because if you guys don't know, they made this film f like be one continuous shot. So from the opening shot to the last shot, this is one continuous shot obviously there are cuts that are hidden in here because shooting a movie like this is impossible to do in a single take not impossible i'm sure they could have pulled it off but it wouldn't be worth the money spent or the time spent doing that um so they have to have a i mean they have to have a 360 degree field of view or at least like a 200 degree right right i like i don't know at some very large scale the camera needs to be able to pan and not see crew members or uh 
video village or like or whatever random things ground, that track on the ground. Yeah. Uh, the cranes like there and there's shots in this film that I just don't know how they pulled off. Uh, I would love to see. I would love to see behind the scenes of this on how they pulled off some of these long takes, what the longest takes were, what the shortest takes were um, and how they film certain things. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but like there are things that our characters do that I'm just like, how the heck did a camera track with them? during this you know yeah, there's moments where we don't just track with the character as they walk along from behind right the camera is moving in uh at least a 180 in some many cases 360 around that yeah. character uh, we are moving uh in the z axis up yeah. and down as well as through or inside objects we're like a third member the we're yeah. a third set of eyes in that world and our focus changes. We don't always sit with one person. Right. But we do have the experience of being in their presence. We're very intimate with these characters, even as the camera is doing, I mean, for all practical purposes, backflips around the set. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the smartest thing this film did was make it one continuous shot because it, there was actual purpose there because I felt like uh, a third member of, of this mission, right, uh, going off to you know, and, and following them. And like, I was in the middle of the action in the adventure, in the, in the mission. I had the, I felt like, a uh, I almost felt like the camera guy who could, who was there with them. Right. As if I was documenting the whole thing. Um, very, very effective. And we've seen, uh, long takes in the past, right. Whether it's, uh, the opening shot of gravity, um, or you talk about another, um, another movie that did this was Birdman. Right. Um, and I didn't actually find it effective in Birdman. I don't know why they decided to do a one shot sort of continuous take thing for Birdman. Uh, maybe I just need to go back and watch it and pay yeah. attention to that. But I felt like this movie, it actually made sense to do a one continuous shot sort of. It, it certainly makes us experience the stakes more. We're very intimate with these characters. We have no ability to distance ourselves from the experiences they're having. Right. Uh, and we understand the pace, the urgency of what's happening with the actors. Right. When they pause, we pause. And we don't get to reset ourselves by seeing a different angle or feeling like we're outside the picture. We're yeah. constantly seeing things revealed to us. as, And that re revelation is in reference to the bodies of the people we care about. Yeah. Um, what else do you want to mention? I mean, I think the acting was, the the performances were incredible. Um even the small performances. The small I mean, performances, I think yeah. the things, you know, uh, I don't want to spoil people in it, but sure. it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a cast list. So like Mark Strong's in it. He does a spectacular job with right. what amounts to maybe 10 lines, you yeah. know? Like there's these many people who are operating with very small bits of dialogue. And uh, I mean, you pointed out, uh, what's his name from Sherlock? Um, uh, Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott, who is spectacular yeah. in the beginning of the film. And so there's a lot of people who are doing really good work in what are small but potent yeah. experiences. And I mean, our two leads are extraordinary. Oh, and that's what's amazing is that the two leads are generally like no name nobodies, right? In comparison to some of the the smaller roles that are on screen, like Colin Firth and, and even Andrew Scott, Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, right. and uh, uh, Mark Strong. Like these guys, you might know their faces if you saw them, but you'll you know Colin Firth you know Mark Strong you know Benedict right like these guys are nobodies and for a film to 
be carried on the backs of two guys who haven't really like staked their name right in in the industry too hard like in that in the sense of in on the level of like benedict cumberbatch has right. like that's a big deal for a a movie like this to have two no-name guys as the as the leads it, it does work for the movie because we don't we recognize them as the people they are in the film yeah and they're their faces are spectacular. I mean, I, I uh, I've done a lot of study of World War One. I. I did a play that sort of focused on it, and sure. I've worked in that period. And I care about the that as a, a piece of history. And they look like folks just right out of the war, right? Not just from a costume perspective, but face shape and design and structure and the haircut and all of that yeah. really is crystal clear. And no, I mean, no one looks contemporary. I mean, the work's done across the board, but these sure. guys have a certain look and a chiseled look. Right. And their age difference is really nice. They have to be young. This is about the the young going to war. Right. And so their age, and one of them is more experienced than the other, uh, that age is clear to us. Yeah. Um, I thought their performances were great uh, all around. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I think the music's really great and the sound design's fantastic. Yeah. And there were places where the music seemed huge. It was gigantic. Right. And yet was really supporting what was happening emotionally in yeah. the piece. And the sound design did the same thing. The yeah. directionality of sound was very powerful. And, and it's, it's, I mean, you expect it from a war movie. I feel like for sound to play a large role, like you think about the, the Academy award winners for anytime there's a war movie, they're pretty much going to win best sound design because of all of the sound effects and all of the layering that you have to do. And while this didn't have like as much, uh, I guess, layering as something like Saving Private Ryan would or sound design as Saving Private Ryan would, um, not to that like intensity level, uh, you're still getting a lot of storytelling through the, the sound design. So, yeah. yeah, I think we could, why don't we say some things about... Um, so I guess what I'm thinking, there are things to think about as you watch this film. And one of them is the fact that the color palette, which changes throughout the film, right. is so subtle and well-crafted. Uh, and the presence of the image white, the, the color white, I think, is a really crucial color yeah. for people to watch for, and it's it's meaningful. But with all of that sort of like symbolic language that's present, I think the danger in watching this film is that if you go you worry about how the camera work was done or you worry about symbolic language and you miss story. And yeah. that didn't happen to me. And I know it didn't happen to you. No, it didn't happen to me. But you want to be conscious about this is a movie you probably need to see more than once. Right. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a movie that's taking place as like one single shot, you're going to pick up on the fact that this is still one single take. And Obviously, it's not, and they're revealing right through, um, or, or they're hiding the cuts behind a boulder or uh, through black or right. whatever it may be. And those moments there, when they're hiding the cuts, for me, I can pick out, and that that's what takes me out of the movie. I think this movie did it well. They hid the cuts better than other movies have, uh, but it still takes me out. And even when you're going a 13-minute long take, you catch yourself saying, oh, holy cow, this is still one long shot. And that that brings you out. So going in, just stop thinking about the camera. Like you have to almost force yourself to just not think about anything and just live and, what's happening. And ride with those characters. There's yeah. so much work in the background to 
and you want to see those pieces, but the camera's moving quickly through spaces. Yeah. And we're disoriented because we're in these uh, characters' POV, essentially. Yeah. You know, it almost is a little claustrophobic because you're stuck in the frame. And while they can actually, they have their peripherals, they can look left and right, you can't. You can only see what's happening to them. Right. So that, that, that is a little difficult. But, I mean, the, the movie's uh, very emotionally impacting. Um, it's definitely a movie about war and the dangers of war and not just the danger of going to war, but the danger of war itself. Um, and I, I mean, I, we mentioned in the spoiler filled, like I can't believe how many people got up so fast after, the the, after it cut to black. And I just had to sit there. Like, I just can't believe people were walking by me, smiling, laughing, giggling. I'm like, I need to really process this. So yeah, I felt like locked in my seat. And you know, the, the this is a movie that is propulsive and there's a lot of tension and the stakes are really high yeah. and the stakes are amplified, but the characters are honorable in a really profound way. And the other thing I'd like to say just for, you know, the from people in a spoiler-free environment, the thing we struggled with with Uncut Gems and the fact that honor wasn't a component of that film right honors in the background of this for all of the horror we're experiencing yeah. and the adventure we're experiencing some we we really get to see something special about the human spirit and i think it's really worth watching that and uh, i think mendez has a reason for choosing to do that that we will well, i'm not going to spoil but i certainly think that, that yeah. reason is there and uh and this film has a real sense of care both from his perspective and from Deacons, who I mean, his work is the man's amazing. It's I, magnificent. I just and so if if you guys are film lovers and you want to, you, you're interested in learning about directing uh, photography and cinematography and that sort of thing. Roger Deakins, this is why people love him. He has a forum online where it's like RogerDeakins.com or something like that, and you can become a member for free. And he actually answers questions from people who are wondering. Hey, how did you light the uh, the new MI6 in or MI5, whatever it is? What is it in, in James Bond? MI6? Uh, James Bond works for the what, who does Her he work Majesty's for? Secret Service. Sure, I don't know what the place. Anyway, MI, they, MI, yeah, MI5, whatever. They there's this new underground place where they move into, and he had to light this entire yeah. thing underground. And like, what? How did you light this? What bulbs did you use? What kind of material did you use for diffusion? How did you do all this stuff? Uh, and he answers those questions on his form, which I think is really, really awesome. So I'm waiting for 1917 to be the next thing that he kind of covers on his site and interested to see. I mean, you're seeing visual language that he's used before in the past. Um, right. Skyfall. Things, yeah. And like he has his techniques that he uses in all these films, but he really had to take it to the next level uh, because this is a one shot take. Like, what do you what do you do? So, um, yeah, I would love to hear what Lisa Seniar Steadicam yeah. friend has to say about the work, and at some point when she's not shooting uh, this new Lincoln Rhymes show for NBC, she'll uh, be able to talk to us about that. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, and the other thing I'd say too is this Mendez Deacons combination is really interesting because Mendez's sense of framing and his sense of intimacy with characters, along with Deacons work, was we've seen Deacons work in pieces that are much less personal. Right. You know where the work of the director isn't as personal as this imagery is. And, and to me, that's a distinction. Yeah. And, um, I can't, I, I, Dennis, Dennis Gassner, the production designer has worked with Deacons on, uh, Blade Runner 2049 as well. It was the last film they did together. 
Um, so I, I think the combination of the those three together, Mendes, Gassner, and uh, and Deacons is just like a powerhouse of filmmaking. Yeah. Let's let's do the review rating half of this thing. Uh, rating. Um, go see this in theaters for sure. Twice. That's right. Yeah, I, we decided that we're creating a new rating and. It's go take, see this. You can go see it twice in theaters, at least. Um, I mean, this is this is a movie I would say you should see in IMAX. It wasn't shot in IMAX, but would look the bigger the screen, not the better, but the bigger the screen, the the bigger visual impact I think you'll have. Uh, it'll have on you. Um, yeah, we we sat pretty close to the front this time, and there was yeah. a measure of concern I had. And then we're sitting there, and I'm like, no, this is the really the right seats for us to be yeah. in. Uh, I think that it, this is a movie really to see twice in a theater. If you watch it for the first time on the small screen, its impact will be so lessened. Being able to l not lose yourself in the visual references is just devastating. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you should see it because it's going to be up for a billion awards this year. And then next year, it'll be up for awards in England because right. it's being released in England in 2020. Right, right, so right. So it ends up <laughs> spreading over both years. Um there's so much happening in the background of this movie. Um, for even just suspense wise, I found myself watching the background actors and seeing what they were doing and all of that stuff. There, there is so much detail that you can miss by watching it only once and not seeing it in theaters. So yeah, the crowd AD and the crowd, uh, I would PA, hate to have that job. But what, what those folks really tore it up. Yeah. I love seeing that in a credit. Like there's some, that, that's what makes that. this film so realistic. I think is it, it could have fallen flat if it didn't have so many background actors and so many extras. Uh, but because this is a war film, obviously there's a ton of people and they found all the people or they digitally multiplied them. But uh, they well, sure felt looks realistic. Like they felt like real people. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're, I mean, people are doing individual, very specific activities in the background. Really beautiful. It felt real. So, Anyway, just go see the movie, guys, because it's that good. Um, Want to close up? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, thanks for listening to the Racking Focus podcast spoiler-free review of 1917. Once you've listened or gone and seen 1917, listen to our spoiler-filled. Spoiler and you can find out what we're going to be checking out next at RackingFocusPodcast.com. Online, we have movies listed there, what we're going to see, so you can watch them to hear about the podcast. You can also find out access to all of our social media. And what are those social media things, Josiah? Uh, they are Racking Focus Podcast on Instagram, Pod Focus on Twitter, and then if you Racking just search Focus Pod and Gmail, right? Racking Focus Pod at Gmail, and then just on Facebook if you're still on Facebook. Racking uh, Focus Podcast. Racking Focus Podcast. Uh, and yeah. if you're interested in The Witcher, just as a note, we did a Witcher miniseries that uh, you can go check out, and we're going to be continuing to do that. If you have suggestions or thoughts for us of either movies to see or uh, shows you'd like us to do recaps for. We'd be happy to do that. Just contact us at one of our various communications routes. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review. That would be very good. Uh, other than that, I think that's it. That's it. Let's get out of we'll here. We'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.